Would you join me in a word of prayer before we have this morning's message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, if you were to go back and look at my preaching through the summers, uh, I think this is my 11th or 12th summer, one or the other, I can't remember exactly. Um, you would see that I'd like to preach through the Old Test- or in the Old Testament, not all the way through it, um, <laughs> during the summertime. And uh, this summer's no different. We've been uh, looking at the book of Chronicles, and uh, it is one book in the Hebrew Bible. In our Bible, it's two. Um, and so we've made it all the way to Second Chronicles. And uh, last week, we looked at the exchange of power from King David to King Solomon. And we saw that King Solomon brought great blessing to the people of Israel. He ushered in a golden age, a golden era. And we kind of asked ourselves, um, what was the golden era of our nation and our country? And we're still going to stay on those themes today because the first six chapters, really the first seven chapters of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, is about this golden era, this golden age. So I guess you could call it the golden age too, uh, today's sermon. And as we look at this passage that we're going to spend a little time in today, and, and I again ask you, and I want to personalize it maybe a little bit, when was the golden age of your life? You know, they talk about the golden years. Uh, we were at Walmart in Highlands Ranch yesterday, and uh, we ran into my uncle Ken, my dad's brother, and we saw him from a distance. And I thought, "Who's that old guy?" Um, because he, he was struggling as he was walking out. He just didn't feel very well. He was walking out with some prescription medication. Um, my uncle Ken is seventy-two, and to think that he's been retired for a few years, and these are the the golden years, and he's waddling out of a a Walmart. And I don't know if we would say the older we get, that's the golden years. Some of you are there. You could fill us in. You could, you could let us know. Is that the golden years? Is, is retirement and saving up and working hard all those years what it's all cracked up to be? Or would you do things differently? Do you, when you're in your older years, do you look back and go, that was the golden years? And my guess is that those of us who are younger, we, we also tend to look back and we think, boy, if I could go back, those were the golden years. And my guess is those who are in the golden years, teenagers, 20-year-olds, they're all looking forward going, man, I can't wait until I get to. It was interesting. We, we were driving around Littleton yesterday and we came behind a car and it was an old, it was a rambler. Who made the Rambler? I don't have a clue who made Excuse me? <laughs> Rex knows. He had one. Did you have a Rambler? You had a Rambler. <laughs> it wasn't Rex driving this one, but we were behind a Rambler. And it had four people in it. And uh, it was restored. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And it was 
funny because on the license plate, it had a one of those, uh, you know, those frames that you put around your license plate. And on this one, it said on the back of a Rambler for a full peep for people who I'm sure at the house decided, hey, let's get out in the Rambler and take a spin. And on the license plate frame, it said, I'd rather be flying. And I said to Marnie, that is such a picture of the human condition. Because that's four people who I, I'm pretty sure you don't, you don't, that's not the family car anymore. I mean, I can picture that on my van. I'd rather be flying. I can picture that on my Buick. I'd rather be in something else. I can picture that on my cars I own because they're just vehicles that get me from here to there. It's like, if I could get different ones, I would. But the Rambler, the restored Rambler that's in the garage all the time, you purposefully get in the Rambler and to have a, a license plate frame that says, I'd rather be flying on the Rambler. That was interesting to me. It's the human condition to always think those were the days or those will be the days, or if I just get this, that, or the other, it's the human condition. We're always, dare I use the word discontent. There's something in us. That's just always, well, if I had that, well, if this would work out, if this person would just fall in love with me, if this person would just fall out of love with me, if this thing would work out this way, if these things would go together and make, you know, you have that situation in your life that you're thinking about, that you're just, if this would, if I could, if this, it's human nature. And let's just be super honest about it. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating to always think those were the days or those will be the days and never to think the day we're in right now is the day. How, how dim are we? <laughs> or let's, let's personalize it for me. How stupid am I? Because maybe you've got this figured out and you're way smarter than me. And it's unfair of me to lump you in with my issues. But I saw four people in a Rambler and it said, I'd rather be flying. And so I'm pretty sure I'm in good company. Now, the scriptures talk a lot about the golden days. In fact, they talk about one particular day, the day of the Lord. This day is not mentioned in this chapter. But it is a day of the Lord that we're going to read about. I mean, it's, it's a high point day of the Lord that happened in ancient Israel. And I mean, it is, you've got to use your movie imagination for this one. You've got to picture it. You've got to visualize it. Picture, if you will, uh, they've just completed the temple. And the temple is magnificent. The, the temple is, is gold-plated. The whole building. <laughs> Just because we could. The temple is adorned with amazing beauty. 
and it's now open for business. I remember the first time I walked through Ikea in Denver because it was open for business. I felt like I was at DIA. I was like, where do I get on the plane? This thing is huge. It's crazy. And the, the mass of people that are attracted to something new, something that just opened for business. Imagine what it must have been like when, when the temple opened for business. And the, the author says, all of Israel came. All of Israel assembled. Imagine. And we're going to pick up this story in First Chronic, or excuse me, Second Chronicles chapter 6. And this is what we read. Then Solomon, Solomon is king. Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Sometimes we think the church is the Lord's dwelling place. Um, That's not correct. In in a moment, you're going to see why that's not right. While the whole assembly of Israel, all Israel, was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Uh, Picture a presidential inauguration. Uh, Picture a giant assembly of people with their top leader. Picture William and Kate's wedding. (laughs) For some of you ladies. uh, Oh yeah, I got that picture. Picture the coronation of a king. Picture one of these state functions with all the regalia and all the splendor. And there's King Solomon and he turns and faces the people and he blesses them. And he says this praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father, David. (laughs) Imagine a head of state saying that today. Praise be to God. That'd be, whoa. (laughs) Um, I've heard heads of state nowadays say, praise Allah. I've heard heads of state say those things. I've heard heads of state give lip service. God bless America. But one to begin the address, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have not... This is what God says here. Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name... Now, if you're interested and you're a marker person in your Bible, mark name. Every time you see it here, you'll be amazed. Might be there, nor have I chosen anyone to be ruler over my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem for my name to be there. And I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Thank you. Nevertheless, just making sure you're awake still. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son who is your own flesh and blood. He is the one who will build the temple for my It's a little redundant. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. Several times he says the name. 
This is for the name of the Lord. And we think, what? <laughs> like it's, it's going to be on the side of the building, Yahweh temple. What? What does that mean? The name of the Lord. Did you see it's capitalized in your Bible? It is in mine. Anybody notice that? What do we capitalize in English? Proper nouns, places, titles. A proper noun is, is a name, right? So to, so to capitalize the word name, isn't that like redundant? Isn't that weird? I think it's weird. To capitalize the word name is strange. Now, we're going to skip a few verses. Uh, Solomon gets into this prayer. It's a great prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. You need to read it. Um, but we're going to skip down to one of the key questions in this passage of Scripture. And it's found in verse 18. And Solomon says, But will God really dwell on earth with human beings? Will God really dwell on earth with human beings? That's a great question. That is a really good question. In fact, the reason he asks this really great question is because he says, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. The heavens can't contain God. <laughs> How much less this temple I have built. How much less this fancy building we just spent all this time and money and energy building. The name of the Lord is going to live here. God is going to dwell on earth with his people. See, that's the question that King Solomon is asking in this prayer. He's asking it rhetorically, but I think he's also somewhat asking, is this really, is it, he said he wanted it. How does this work? Does God really dwell on earth with humans? You see, some of you in your theology, God is distant. God is really, really far. And you like it that way. And God is, is far away and distant. And you want to keep him at a distance. And you're cool with that. Because if he is close, he might mess with you a tad. Some of you, God's distant because of stuff you're going through. And you feel like if he cared, if he really dwelt with his people, I wouldn't be in the straits I'm in. Things would be better. Things would be easier. Stuff would go well. The world would look different. And so sometimes we, we want to keep God at arm's length because we don't want him messing with us. And other times we keep him at arm's length because it just it seems like he wants to stay at arm's length. Because he's not involved. He's not nearby. He's not rescuing. He's not helping. And we wonder, does God really dwell on earth with people? Now, we're Christians, right? We take our name from Jesus Christ, his title, the Messiah, the anointed one. And we believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. 
And he did dwell amongst us. We have verses, we'll look at one in a moment, that demonstrate this. But I want to show you that in this passage here, God did come and dwell with with his people physically. You probably have read this passage, you've probably heard it, but you missed it. Because you 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 spiritualized it. You you saw it as symbolic. You didn't take it literally. People ask me all the time, should we read the Bible literally? Depends on the part of the Bible. Some parts are supposed to be literal. Some parts are supposed to be read figuratively. These are parts that oftentimes become read figuratively, but I think we're supposed to read them literally. How do I know that? Because it's history. It's literal history. It's telling us. So we go to the next passage. Um, How does God answer? Will he dwell on earth with the people? And if you look at second Chronicles chapter seven. By the way, if you think my prayers are long, read, read the rest of that. That's a whole prayer. Second Chronicles six. We're skipping it. It's a great prayer. We'll hit it in a moment. This is the answer, though, to this part of the prayer. Will God dwell? And it says this, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And if that ain't enough, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Okay, (laughs) it's weird. Uh Huh? Like you could see it, you could interact with it. What what does this mean? The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord. You see, I think this is the answer to that prayer that Solomon prayed. Are you going to come and dwell with us? And God says, watch this. What is that in there? Shekinah glory, I guess. I don't know what that is. You think it stayed? Do you think it stayed or is just special effects for that day? You see, the precedent we have for this is that the Exodus, God stayed with his people, Israel, as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he was with them for 40 years, leading them. And then he was with Joshua in the battles. He spoke to Joshua. He was with The Ark of the Covenant, his presence, the glory of the Lord dwelt with the Ark of the Covenant. I believe that the person of Jesus Christ dwelt with Israel all throughout the 480 years from Exodus to now the temple. And the person of Jesus dwelt in the temple After Solomon built it. He's the name. He is the the physical. The physical. That's a whole awesome word. It's like a George Bush right there. The physical. Strategery and physical. He's the visible. Tangible expression. 
of the invisible God. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, comes and dwells in the temple. And I think he came to stay. The reason I say that is because um, God then talks to Solomon. Uh, you skip down a couple verses. Uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verses, skip to the next one, Sam. Verses 12 and 13. The Lord appeared. Appeared. How do you appear to a person? If you're a spirit being, it says he showed up. He appeared. Solomon, here I am, the Lord. I'm appearing to you. I think this is Jesus appearing to Solomon. The second person of the Trinity appearing to Solomon, and he says, he says this, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Huh. And this is an answer to the rest of Solomon's prayer that we skipped in chapter 6. Solomon in his prayer says, when the people do these things, when the people go astray, when the people, uh, when, they, when they fail to follow you, when the people do wrong things, when enemies come and defeat us, when f- famine and hardships hit us, when that happens to the people... And then they pray to you. Then he says, then hear from heaven. Then hear from heaven. When these things happen and the people turn and pray to you, then hear from heaven. That's a formula. He says it over and over and over and over again in his prayer in chapter 6. And here is Jesus, Yahweh, God's answer. I'll do it. When the people sin, go their own way, bad things happen, rain doesn't fall because I don't send it, locusts come and devour things because I sent them, and then they humble themselves and they repent, I will hear them. Are those verses familiar to anybody? In fact, I've got a a picture that might help you. Is this the context of these words at all? If my people, when you see with the American flag, you think, oh, the people must be the Americans. But is this the context of of what's being said here? Who did Jesus appear to? King Solomon. Who's the king of America? Oh, we don't have one. There's no direct lineage or bloodline that we can claim to David. Where's the temple in America? 
which this was all talking about? The Capitol building? The White House? The monument? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we got one. National Cathedral? Who's this promise to? Who's, who is God speaking to personally in this story? You know, when I took my wedding vows, I made them to one person at one particular time. And it didn't apply to you guys. It applied to one person. I remind my children of this daily. How come you always take mom's side? Because I'm smart. (laughs) But I also stood in front of God and everybody and said, I pick you. I pick you over everybody. You're it. And that doesn't apply to anybody else but her. It's called a covenant. I entered into a covenant relationship with my wife. And this might seem weird to you because I'm talking about marriage and I'm talking about America and I'm talking about temple and I'm talking about God. But the prophets and Jesus himself, the metaphor that they keep using to talk about the relationship with God and people is marriage. And here we're seeing that God has chosen a specific people. It started with Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. These are the many sons. And God shows up and says, this is the temple I have chosen. I will establish my name here. Nowhere else. This is it. Jerusalem. This temple. And when the people Israel, my people Israel, call upon my name, I will hear them. I will hear them. Well, wait a minute. Can't we? I like this verse. Can I have it? Keep listening. I think this is a poor use of this verse. I think this is a a terrible picture to place the American flag with these words. This is not at all the context of what was being said here. I don't even think you can put the Jewish flag up with that. I think the, what you need to picture is the temple and what just happened at the beginning of chapter 7, that God's presence, His glory is dwelling in that place. The Jesus is dwelling there. And no other nation ever can claim that. Now, you might think, well, he's got a bone to pick with America. I, don't, I love America. I'm so glad I live here. I just have a bone to pick with how we're applying this passage. And now we get into the application. Why did this guy write this stuff? So he could confuse us. Why did he write this? Remember, he's writing to exiles who were taken into captivity. Why were they taken into captivity? Because of all the stuff that Solomon prayed about. He actually prophesied their exile in the prayer. When... The kids are taken out of the land because they've turned their backs on you. And they leave as exiles. And then they humble themselves and turn towards the temple and pray, hear them. God says, I'll do it. 
And that's who the chronicler is writing to. And he's saying this. If you want to return to the golden days, the golden days are when God dwelt amongst his people. Those were the golden days. And the reason he's telling them this is because the temple got destroyed. It got knocked down. It got piled up. It just, it's, it's gone. And he's writing it to the exiles and he's saying, hey, rebuild the temple. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be difficult, but rebuild the temple. If you want to return to the golden age, if you want God to dwell amongst you, he said his name would dwell in the temple. Let's rebuild the temple. And in Ezra chapter six, we learn that they did it. They rebuilt the temple. But if you keep reading Ezra chapter six, there's something weird that happens. At least failed to happen. Fire didn't fall down from heaven. And the glory of God did not fill the temple. In fact, the glory of God never filled the second temple. Many Jewish scholars believe that Israel is still in exile today. Many Jewish scholars believe that even to the point of Jesus' life, Israel was in exile. Why? Because God didn't refill the temple. He didn't come back. They came back, but God's not there. We built the temple. We're standing around waiting. What's going on? And it's like you get to the end of Second Chronicles and you're wondering, where's God? Where's God? When's he coming back? When is he, is he going to fill the temple again? Well, we're Christians. We have this new covenant, the New Testament. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Some of you know that the the verb there means that he tabernacled, that he templed with us. That the word, the glory of God, the name of the Lord now exists in the person of Jesus. And if you keep reading John chapter 2, you find out that he goes to the temple. One of his first recorded public things that he did, at least according to the book of John. He goes into the temple. He makes a whip. We don't have that picture of Jesus, do we? (laughs) That's a different picture. That's not a precious moments Bible moment, is it? Jesus makes a whip and he drives the sellers out. He drives the thieves out. He drives people who are corrupting the second temple and he drives them out of the temple. And he says, you have turned a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And the Pharisees. The people in charge, they say, by what authority are you doing this? Who are you? It took us 46 years to build this place. Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, if you knock this temple down, I will build it back in three days. And they say, it took us 46 years to build this. You're going to rebuild it in three days? Kind of made him mad. Led some of them to want to kill him right then. And John, kind of jumping up to the end of the story, he says, later, after Jesus rose from the dead, we realize he was talking about his body, the temple. And one of the things that's happening in John chapter 2 is that the name came back 
to the temple. The name came back. The glory of the Lord, it showed up. It showed back up in the second temple. But they missed it. Probably because it didn't have all the cool special effects. Probably probably because it didn't have fire and it wasn't a cloud and you couldn't go in. Um, it It was way too personal. It was just a guy. Just, he's one of us. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was perfect and he did amazing things. But he's a little irritating. He didn't like how they were handling the temple. He didn't like what was going on, so he made a whip. (laughs) He drove people out. He got up close and personal. He got into their face. They had a coming to Jesus moment. The glory of the Lord showed back up in the temple. Turn to the very end of your Bible. Revelation 21, 22 and following says this. And again, we're into application for us. Because the temple, the person, the name of God took on flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And we can live with him. And it says this. This is John again, writing in Revelation. I did not see a temple in the city. What? Every temple has, every city has a temple. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is how it ends, the whole story. This is how the the story that began with the building of the first temple, this is how it ends. It ends with no temple. It ends with a person who's the temple. It ends with God and Jesus as the temple. This is the place that God will establish his name forever. This is the golden age. (laughs) Don't you want a part of it? Don't you want a piece of the glory? Don't you want a part of it? Don't you want to be part of it? Did you read those lines though? No one will enter who's done anything shameful, deceitful. Nobody. Oh, man. Except for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. A good question at this point in the sermon is, how do you get your name in that book? How does that happen? See, one of the things that Solomon does in those prayers is he never, ever, ever, ever says. Never, ever, ever, ever says. I read it several times just to make sure because it really bugged me. It never, ever, ever, ever says. Is that clear? That I'm trying to say it never. When the people do this stuff. When the people burn this thing. When the people show up and give, when the people do these, it says, when the people pray, when the people make an oath, 
when the people speak stuff with their mouths about God. The new evangelical way, the new churchy way to say this is when we believe, when we trust, when we put our hope in Jesus, when we do that, then from heaven, hear. Then from heaven, God, hear. And it's almost like God's not over a barrel. It's almost like he's not going, oh, man, the formula's been fulfilled and I've got to do it. It's almost like Solomon is saying, please, hear. And remember the answer from Jesus himself. I will. You see, I love America. It'd be fascinating. It'd be awesome if, it, if we had revival, if we had the healing of our land, if the government went back to Jesus, all those things. It'd be fantastic. This is way better news. Because in spite of all of that, in spite of no matter where anybody is on planet Earth, no matter how bad or evil the dictator the government, the situation, no matter what is going on anywhere on the planet, the person who's got it the worst today can turn to Christ and their name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. And they can look forward to the city without a temple. They know they will one day populate that place. Do you know? Do you know? Will you one day populate that place? If you think that you're going to get in because, well, I've done all these good things, and so hopefully that's going to outlast the bad stuff I've done. If you think it's like, you know, scales, weights, balances, you're trusting in the wrong stuff. Because guess what? If this is the good side and this is the bad side, they're always going to go like this. There's no way. You can't do enough. The bad is so bad, it will always win. There's only one way it doesn't. And that's if you get rid of the scale and you replace it with a cross. The cross of Christ. It's not what you do. It's what he's done. So as the chronicler would say. Return to the temple. Return to Christ. Come to Jesus. Place your hope in him. And as God dwells in your life. He will usher in a golden age. He will usher in a golden age and the golden age will happen no matter what happens to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this amazing passage where we see that Jesus Christ is involved even in the Old Testament. And we see that we can be part of this story, the church. We thank you, Lord, that you do not dwell in stone monuments built by people anymore. 
We thank you that with the coming of Jesus, you changed the game. And as it tells us in Peter's writings in the New Testament, that we are now the stones of the temple. We are now the ones that are the temple of God. And that wherever we go, the temple of God goes. And this is your plan. And I pray, Father, that if there's anything, anyone here today who does not know Christ or has any doubts, perhaps they're trusting in their good name, maybe they're trusting in their good deeds, maybe they're trusting in the fact that they'll have more time and eventually they'll be able to get things sorted out with you. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven, would harass each and every one of us. And we would all have a coming to Jesus moment today. And especially those, Father God, who don't know you. May they hear these words and know that the temple, Jesus Christ, exists with us. He dwells with us. He is near. He wants us to be near him. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we all be the living stones of the new temple of God. Amen.